and the psalm for tonight is Psalm 9. We sort of started here, went there and came back to Psalm 9. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause. You have sat on your throne, judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken the enemy. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. O Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked return to the grave, all the nations that forget God. But the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted ever perish. Arise, O Lord, let not man triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, O Lord. Let the nations know they are but men. Well, we're continuing in our summer psalms series. Um, it's a great way, I think, to spend uh, the summer holidays looking at the psalms together, and so that's what we're doing now. Um, and we're going to be looking at this psalm, Psalm 9, together. But let's pray as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we do praise you for um, so many wonders, uh, your work of creation, uh, particularly the work of salvation that we have in Jesus, and we pray that... Um, tonight you will cause our hearts to be overflowing with praise for you because we are convicted about who you are and that you are indeed worthy of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Just while I was on the way here tonight, I was listening to the cricket and uh, one of the commentators was praising the other commentator. In fact, he said he was praising him. And he's, this is what he said. He said, you're not a bad commentator. That was the extent of his praise, and that was, that was considered high praise. And it occurs to me that Australians, we tend to not really go overboard when it comes to praising other people, don't do we? When we praise someone, we tell them what they are not. We say, you're not bad at it. And if we really want to praise someone, we say, well, you're half decent at it. We're not that big on praising people. But I wonder if that's also true when it comes to praising God. Are we also not that, not, not that big at praising God? I remember, as I think about this, a prayer meeting that I used to go to, a church I used to be at, there was a regular prayer meeting, 
And at one point, a new person came and started uh, leading those prayer meetings. And when he started leading the prayer meetings, he instituted a new method of how we were going to do it. And what that involved was that we would start our time together by reading a psalm and then by reflecting together, in, by praying in praise, uh, it, things that came out of that psalm. So we'd read the psalm, and then we'd just spend some time praying in praise of God for what came out of the psalm and for other things that kind of flowed out of that. And as, as um, we were doing that, it, it kind of occurred to me that praise didn't actually come that naturally to me. You know, I'd start by praising and then I'd quickly slip into asking for stuff and then, oh no, I should be praising now and then I'd quickly slip into asking stuff. Praise didn't come that naturally to me. And I wonder whether you can relate to that as you think about your prayer life, as you think about your relationship with God, are you quick to praise him? And not just, you know, for cultural reasons, being Australians, but are you, like me, the kind of person with the, the shopping list of requests, but then not really that much with the praise? Well, this psalm is a psalm that calls us to praise God. And my goal and my hope is that we come away from this convicted about the importance of praising God and also of the reason that we have to praise him. And particularly we're called in this psalm to praise him because he upholds justice and he saves the oppressed. That's the God who we praise. And so our first point, which I guess is more of a general point, is that we praise God for who he is and for what he's done, for his deeds and his character. So have a look from verse 1 and 2 with me. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, Most High. So you notice that as he's praising God, he's praising God for something. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds, which is what he goes on to do even more. Notice that praise requires content. You praise God. When you, when you praise, you, you say something about God. And it's the same with people. I mean, you, you've heard the expression to sing someone's praises, right? You know that expression, singing someone's praises? If, you know, if I meet someone that you know uh, or that knows you and, and, and I say they really sang your praises to me, what do you expect that they've done? Yeah, you don't expect that they've just said praise, 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 do you? You expect that they've actually said something good about you. They've said, look, man, this person is wonderful. They did this and they're like this. You should see them. They've done all these great things. They're amazing. Praise requires content. When you're going to praise someone, you say good things about them. You talk about them. And it's exactly the same when we are praising God. We praise him for something. And consistently in the Bible, we are called to praise him for his character and his actions, or perhaps better, for his character in action, that this is what God is like and we see this in the world, we see how he has acted. That's why we praise him. And in fact, every psalm that tells us to praise God tells us what to praise him for, with the, very, with the exception of the very last one, Psalm 150, you might have noticed, which is kind of like a chorus that looks back on all the other psalms and having seen all the reasons that we have to praise God, and it just kind of says, praise him, praise him, praise him. But the psalms are filled with praise him because, because he is like this, because he has done this. And so that's helpful for us to know that when we sing praise to God, 
The songs of praise that we sing should generate praise by singing about what God is like, about what God has done. Our songs should remind us and each other of how great this God is that we are praising. And so really the fuel for praise, the fuel for praise is knowing God. If we want to praise him, we need to know what he's like and to know what he has done which is why that prayer meeting that I went to, it was really good that we began our time of praise by reading scripture together, because that's how we know and discover what God is like. It points us to who God is and what he has done, so that we reflect on the fact that this is the God who we know. This is the God who we see at work in our world. And so we praise him because he's done all these wonderful things. So I guess the take home for this point is if you want to praise God more, more consistently, more, more often, more genuinely, if you want to be someone who praises God with all your heart, as it says here in verse 1, and not kind of half-hearted praise, then commit yourself to knowing the God who is worthy of praise. That is the fuel for praise, knowing the God who is worthy of praise. And we're going to come back to that a bit later on, but that's our first point. And it's kind of somewhat introductory because this psalm is now going to focus on a particular aspect of God's character that is worthy of praise. And so our second point is that we praise God for his justice. We praise God for his justice. Justice that saves the downtrodden and the oppressed. You might remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at Psalm 7, we were talking about what to do when we are facing injustice, unjust attacks and to trust God to deliver his justice and that he will save. Well, now this psalm is, I guess, kind of, it's David reflecting on the other side of that experience. Now he has received the, the justice and the salvation that he was praying for. He, he was crying out to God to bring that, and now he's received it. So you see in verse 3, My enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you, for you have upheld my right and my cause sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name. See, David begins this psalm by praising God for the justice that he has received. He says, look at how God has saved me and upheld my cause. And so he says, I will praise him for this. I will give thanks. And then as the psalm continues, he calls on us who are reading along with him to join him in that praise. So if you look down at verse 11, it kind of is like a command. You, he says, sing praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he, for he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. See, David has received justice and salvation at the hand of the Lord and it has caused him to reflect on the fact that this is who God is. This is what God is like. And so he doesn't just want to praise God himself. He wants to call other people to praise him too and say, look at what God is like. So praise him. This is the God who, who is a righteous judge, who puts wrongs to right. And so he says that in verse 8, he rebukes the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. This is what God is like, he says. So praise him. 
David knows that God is a righteous judge who upholds justice and who defends the oppressed. And just, I guess, as as an aside, knowing this about God, that he is a God who upholds justice and defends the oppressed, is what motivates and drives Christians to be people who also care about justice and the plight of the oppressed, or it should anyway. We know that the creator of the universe cares about these things, that there is such a thing as right and wrong because God has decreed it so, that justice matters, the plight of the oppressed matters. We're not just an accident of random atoms fighting for the survival of the fittest. If we were, then nothing would matter. And most people do feel instinctively that justice matters. We, we cry out against it. Most people care about injustice. But without knowing a God of justice, you know, for the atheist, for the modern choose-your-own-adventure spirituality where your truth is as good as my truth, they have no rational cause to say that justice matters, to say that this is wrong and that this is right, that we must oppose this and uphold this. But as believers in the God of justice, who defends the plight of the poor, we do have a cause to stand up for that. And this conviction is what sent some people I know to Eastern Europe to fight against the human trafficking that was going on from taking people in the sex trade from Eastern Europe to Western Europe and that terrible cycle of of abuse that people were caught in. And they went there to try and break that cycle and to, to care for people in that situation. This kind of knowledge of the character of God is what drives many of us to support organisations that care for the oppressed and the downtrodden and to vote for politicians who have this same concern. Justice matters because the creator of the universe is a God of justice. This is what David knows and firmly believes about God. He has seen it in his own experience and it drives him to praise God and to call others to praise him too. He knows that this is true about God, but he's still not completely free from the persecution and the attacks of his enemies. And you see that in verse 13. He says, Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy on me and lift me up from the gates of death. See, most of this psalm is about David reflecting on the fact that he has received the deliverance and the justice that he was crying out for. And so he's praising God for that. But he is still facing attack from his enemies to the point where he can say that he feels like he's standing in the very gates of death. And at the end of the psalm, verse 19 and 20, he calls on God to arise. He says, fly into action, God. Put those evildoers in their place. Show them that they are only mortal and that they cannot stand against the judge of the universe. David has experienced rescuing from God in the past, but he also still faces these kinds of attacks. But it's because of what he knows about God from the past that he is praising God for that enables him to continue to trust God in the present, in these current situations. So look at verse 10. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. You know, you you trust people who have proven themselves trustworthy, right? Now, you don't trust 
someone who you don't know, you don't trust a stranger, or at least you, know, you probably shouldn't. I still remember that from when I was a kid, stranger danger. You know, don't get into a car with a stranger. That's good advice, right? And sadly, there are some people who the better you get to know them, the less, the less you trust them. But you do trust someone who, as you get to know them, proves themselves to be trustworthy. That's who you trust. And David knows that that is true of God. Those who know your name trust in you because you have never forsaken those who seek you. God has proven himself trustworthy. And so even in those times when he feels like he's standing in the very gates of death, when it feels like God has forsaken him, when, he, when he's still waiting for that justice, for that rescue from the, the unjust attacks of his enemies, David knows that he can continue to trust God even then. And so he calls on us, along with him, to praise God even in those moments. Verse 11 again, sing the praises of the Lord enthroned on heaven, in, in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. David knows that there is no injustice in this world that will not be put to right because God sees, because God remembers, and he does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. And for that, we can praise him. And if we needed a definitive proof of that, then what we need to do is look to Jesus. Jesus, when he hung whipped and naked on the cross, it looked like God had forsaken him. And he cried out those words that David says just over the page in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It looked like the evildoers had won. It looked like injustice had prevailed. But that was not the case. As this very Psalm promised, Psalm 22 promised, God did not ignore those cries. He vindicated his righteous one by raising him from the dead. And in that moment, God has proven once and for all that he is the defender of the afflicted, that he is the God of justice, that he will not allow injustice to go unheard, and that there will come a day when he will take his seat of judgment finally and completely, and he will judge the world with justice through Jesus. Acts 17 says, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice through the man he has appointed, Jesus, and he has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is that ultimate proof that there will come a day when the world will be judged, when justice will prevail. God will remember. So the people smugglers who exploit the desperate for their own financial gain, trafficking in human misery and exploitation, perpetuating a cycle of slavery and dependence. God sees that. He will remember. He will deliver justice. The man who throws acid in the face of the young girl because she dared to put her trust in Jesus and who seems to get away with it because the local authorities turn a blind eye. God sees. He will remember. He will deliver justice. The priest who uses religion and the power that it gives him to abuse children, even if he seems to get away with it, God sees, he will remember, 
he will deliver justice. It's right for us to long for justice. And like David, we can trust that God will deliver justice because he's done it before. Because he has proven that he is trustworthy. He has upheld righteousness and remembered the cries of the afflicted. We can trust that this is who God is. And so we can both trust him and praise him. And so do you notice in this psalm how for David there's this positive cycle between praise and trust. David praises God for what he has already experienced and seen of God's salvation, his justice, his rescue. And he trusts God for what he hasn't yet seen, for what he doesn't yet know. And there's this positive cycle between the two of them, praise and trust. And the thing that drives the trust is the same thing that drives his praise. I said a moment ago that the fuel for praise is knowing God. Well, it's also true that we see here is that knowing God is the fuel for trust. Those who know your name will trust you. Knowing God is the fuel for trust because God has proven himself trustworthy. And so the better we know him, the better we become familiar with his trustworthiness, the more it will drive us to trust him. And so we can have this positive cycle between praise and trust that are both grounded in knowing God who is worthy of our trust and praise. You know, I often find myself praying that I will grow in my trust of God and that I'll become more inclined to praise him and maybe you do too. And if that's the case, if that's what I want, if that's what you want, then what we need to do is commit ourselves to knowing God better to knowing this God who is worthy of praise, to knowing this God who is worthy of trust. And that should start with meditating on Scripture. This is how we know God. This is how we grow in our knowledge of God, not just kind of head knowledge, but in our conviction that this is who God is, that this is what God is like. If someone's character is genuine, then the better you get to know that person, the more you become familiar and convinced of that character. And it's the same with reading God's word. It grows us in conviction that this is what God is like and it generates praise and trust. Knowing God is the fuel for praise and trust. Now, our final point that we're going to see in this psalm is that praise is the goal of salvation. Praise is the goal of salvation. Have a look again at verse 13 and 14 with me. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death so that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. You see, you see that? Save me so that I may declare your praises, so that I may rejoice in your salvation. See, for David, the ultimate goal of this mercy and salvation that he's asking for is that he can praise God for it. You know, we tend to have, I think, a fairly human-centered view of the world, and even when it comes to the things of God, we have a fairly human-centered approach. You know, we assume that God's purposes in the world have me at the center, that, that our rescue, that our salvation, our good, that we are the ultimate goal of all God's work in the world. I mean, that's why he sent Jesus, right? Oh, yes. But actually, there is a greater goal, his glory, his praise. 
Verse 14, that I may declare your praises and give thanks for your salvation. Save me. And you see it again down in verse 11. <coughs> you see, throughout the psalm, the people who are attacking David are the nations. It's the nations that are attacking him. And so he says in verse 11, Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. These wicked people who are attacking David, David wants them to see how great God is by the way that he defends him, by the way that he guards him and saves him from their very attacks so that he can proclaim God's greatness among the nations and that they will put their na the nations in their place, that they will know, verse 20, that they are only mortal, that God is God and that they are not, that God will be glorified when he saves. And so, as I said, the ultimate goal for David's salvation is praise. Save me that I may declare your praises. It kind of makes me think of, of grand final celebrations. It's kind of an imperfect illustration. I follow the Parramatta Eels, so it's been a while since I've had really much cause for grand final celebrations. I see Stuart's got a Parramatta Eels shirt on, so there's at least two of us in the building. But whatever team you support and whatever sport you follow, imagine your team does win the grand final. And that moment comes when the final whistle blows and your team has won. Imagine you turn to the person next to you and you say, we must never speak of this again. It's crazy, isn't it? That's not what you do when your team has won. Now is the time for celebration. Now is the time for recounting all those great moments in the game and praising your team for how good they are. You're hardly going to forget to celebrate in that moment. You're hardly going to forget to tell everyone how good your team is. It's going to be the first thing on your lips. And so I guess the, the most simple and basic thing that we need to take home from this is don't forget to praise God. As I, as I mentioned, I, I'm reasonably quick to ask God for things, but less quick to praise and thank him. And I've already talked about how what we see of God in Scripture should be the fuel for our praise but what should also happen is that that should then flow out into praising God as we reflect on our own experience. As we read this in scripture and we see that this is what God is like and then we reflect on our own experience and we go, yes, I see that this is what God is like in my own life. Each week here at church we have a, a staff prayer meeting and we pray about a range of things. And one person in particular is really helpful in reminding us to look back through the prayer points that we've had from previous weeks and months to see the prayers that God has answered so that we can then praise him for the things that we prayed for previously rather than just moving on and, and praying for new things. And that's a, that's a great encouragement to have and a great thing to do. It's a great thing to do in Bible study groups. And I know that many of our Bible study groups do this, where you look back on prayer points for previous weeks, and that can be the cause for praising God. It's also a great thing to do in your own personal Bible reading and prayer. You know, write down the things that you are praying for so that you can go back and praise God for when he answers those prayers. <clears throat> you know, we will spend eternity praising God for who he is and for what he has done. 
that's that's what that's what it's going to be we won't be able to contain ourselves it'll be like grand final times a million that's the goal of salvation to be praising god in eternity but we still right even now have every reason to be praising god he has shown it in so many ways but ultimately he has shown it through the death and resurrection of jesus this is where he has made himself known most fully that he is a God who upholds justice and brings salvation. And so this should be fuel for us to trust and praise him. I'm going to pray now, and, um, and then straight after that, we're going to have an opportunity for questions. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we see what you have done in the world, particularly in your word and through Jesus, it, it does, it should give us great reason for praise. We read earlier tonight from 1 Peter, the great praise we should have because of the new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. And we praise and thank you for that, Father. Father, we also ask though that you will so fill us with a confidence of your, your character, of knowledge of you that does lead to praise that will also lead to trust, that it will lead us to trust you in those moments where we haven't yet seen those things that we long for and ask for, that we can at the same time praise and trust you. And we ask that as we do this, it will bring great glory and honour to your name. Amen.